Yes, g'day everyone and welcome to the Dribble Podcast, your home of basketball in WA for an inside look at both the Perth Wildcats and Perth Lynx throughout the 2021-22 seasons. My name is Craig O'Donoghue from the West Australian newspaper and throughout the year I'm being joined by a host of guests to provide you with as much insight and entertainment as your basketball brain can handle. In this episode we are fortunate to have two huge names in the studio. We are starting with Perth Wildcats Vice-Captain Mitch Norton as he provides some updates on his injury status and then speak to Perth Lynx import and WNBA star Marina Mabry. But first, wasn't that a tough pill to swallow for the Perth Wildcats with a double overtime loss to the Brisbane Bullets on Sunday? They didn't start well and were nine points down before they even scored, but they fought back superbly, led by six points with less than a minute remaining, but couldn't close it out. Brisbane's rebounding dominance was a key factor with Robert Franks and Nathan Sobey and Tyrell Harrison all producing double-doubles. Perth's big names gave their all, with Bryce Cotton reminding everyone that you can't keep him quiet for an entire game, and he lifts when it matters, while Vic Law was truly stunning after scoring 15 of the Wildcats' 18 points during overtime. But it was to no avail, as Brisbane won 97-94. One man who would have loved to have been out there is in the studio with me now, and here he is. Kicks into the corner, Norton firing, filling it up, he scored the first five. Lanchfield dumps it out for Norton. Had all day. That is absolutely epic (laughs) from Mitch Norton. Mitch Norton, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. What an intro. I'll have to get that one off you later. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been an interesting time for the club. They've had so many things going on, but the weekend was, was savage, wasn't it, when you, when you lose in double overtime? Never easy. We've seen games against Brisbane go down to the wire so often, and Bryce takes that last shot. This time it went to Vic in regular time. You were in the huddle. What was the talk around then as you work out the final play? I think, you know, that's, that's all up to Scott. We're all just sitting there on the edge of our chairs waiting to see the play that was drawn up, and, you know, it's a shot we wanted. Um, you know, Vic's very capable of taking and making that shot. Um, so I think it's handy. It's a really good problem to have when you have two guys like that that can close out a game. Um, I'm just glad they're both on our team. And I know if it goes down to the wire again, I think it might be a different result. When you watched that play taking place, did you feel that they were honing in on Bryce and just expecting it to happen again? I think so. I think um, I've seen that for years. <laughs> you know, I think everyone expects Bryce to take the last shot, and rightly so. He's he's been proven to to win games, you know, off his own back. So, um, yeah, it, it's tough to watch. It's very tough to watch as an individual and as a team guy as well. It's um, but at the same time, you know, you can learn a lot from sitting on the sidelines. It's really interesting to see the mix of players that Scott's had to work with, given that you're not out there and Michael Frazier the second wasn't out there and Matt Hodgson wasn't out there. So Kyle Zunick wasn't used from midway through the third quarter. Kev White had a few seconds on court late, but pretty much wasn't used for the, most of the last quarter either. So it was Bryce, Vic, Jesse, Majuk Majuk, Travers and Blanchfield as the rotation. He's trying to mix and match at the moment, isn't he? And just go, I'll go smaller here I can and push different guys into different spots. Like, how has it been trying to work it all out? Yeah, I think it's been challenging, um, but that's what I love about this group is that when it's your turn to step up, you know, you're going all in. And I think that's something that um, I think Danny and, and the whole organisation have done a good job of putting a whole bunch of guys together that are very versatile. So I think that helps Scott with the way he's trying to make up lineups and deal with injuries and all types of things going on, um, it makes his life a little easy when everyone's so versatile. So we know that Michael Frazier's on track to play this weekend and Matt Hodgson's getting closer, but we don't know where you're at. So let's cut to the chase right now. When do you reckon you're going to be in a fit position to play? This weekend. 
No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I wish. Um, I think it's uh, probably looking likely in the new year, I'd say. Um, again, it's just one of those things that's that's very frustrating when you come from one injury, have surgery, and then you end up, you know, doing another injury. It's never fun as an athlete. Um, as a person, it's also difficult as well to deal with things at home and and my poor fiance uh, probably cops the brunt of it. Um, I'm not so nice and charismatic and everything at home. I'm a little bit grumpy, and um, I really do thank her for putting up with me during those times. So we were told the club said you hyperextended your knee on November 8, and then they were expecting it to be hopefully two weeks, but then they ruled you out for the next five as the season began. Um, when you look back on it, what actually happened? How did, was it a layout that went wrong? Did you just land the wrong way trying to compete with something? Talk us through that moment. Yeah, I guess it was uh, It was at the end of my fourth full-court session. So the first full-court session you have after an injury is always like, wow, I'm well off the pace. It's going to take a while for me to get back to feeling good and playing how I like to play. And then the second one, you're like, okay, I, can, I see I'm getting somewhere. I'm better than what I was the day before third one you're like yep I've got it like I feel good I feel like I'm back to myself I'm getting on loose balls I'm getting to the rim you know everything's feeling good the fourth one same thing you're like I actually feel better than what I was before and then at the end of that session there was a ball to be uh, stolen I kind of lunged for it and my foot slipped uh, and then it gripped on the floor and I kind of just went over on top of it and hyperextended my knee so that's how it happened um yeah, it, it felt a lot worse than what it was originally, um, and I'm just glad that we got some great medical staff that look after us. Bone bruising is a really tough one. We, we always, from a football perspective, look back to an incident back, way back in 2001 when Drew Banfield, who played for West Coast, hurt his knee. It was ugly in round nine, and they said six weeks, and then the bone bruising kept on going and going, and he didn't play again for the, for the rest of the year. Like, does it improve some days and then you feel terrible the next, or does it, what's day-to-day like for you? Yeah, I think originally, same thing, like kind of any movement, really, you notice it, um, and then as you, know, you, you stop running or you stop jumping, those symptoms obviously disappear and you start to feel normal again, there's no pain, and then it's all about you know, slowly loading it up and and building it up at the moment, which is what I'm doing, um, and it's all feeling really good, touch wood. But, um, yeah, I think it's just one of those things that happen, and obviously there's a great risk at coming back too early uh, that you never want to even think about. Uh, so when you put all that aside, um, yeah, you're just focusing on what you can get to do or what you get to do. Like, at the moment, I get to change direction. I get to, you know, pretty much do everything that the guys are doing, just not at game speed yet. So that'll, that'll be right around the corner. So you said it's hard at home. Yeah, you were going through a hell of a lot worse, I would imagine, during the playoffs when your body was genuinely broken and you were trying to play during that. What was that like, just living day to day? You wake up and you're like, the adrenaline's gone and it's real again. Yeah, it was tough. Um, the, the toughest part was the day after a game. Uh, once, you know, everything kind of wears off and you get to sleep and then you wake up and that's when it's like, oh, yeah, it's really sore. You know, you can't really go out and do the groceries and, and things like that because you really are putting yourself in a lot of pain or putting yourself through pain, which is something that you want to avoid because you want to do everything you can to feel better for tomorrow and the day after and get ready to go again. So I think it's very frustrating for the athlete. I think it's more frustrating for their partners because, um, you know, I guess a lot of the duties at home are, are shifted upon them. 
And you were in quarantine then after that series. Was it good to be in quarantine sitting around or did you need treatment then? And was that two weeks genuinely painful to not have anyone who could help you at that point? Yeah, it would have been probably ideal to get treatment during that two weeks um, or 11 days or, or something it was. Um, I think, yeah, obviously having time off your feet and just laying in bed for days almost um, helped some symptoms. But at the same time, I think getting some hands-on treatment never hurts. So um, frustrating at that, that stage of the season and I guess end of the season when you should be enjoying each other's company and hanging out with teammates, uh, we kind of miss that piece of the puzzle, which was unfortunate. Just how much damage did you do to your hip? Now that it's all done a long time ago now and you can reveal the truth, what did you do to yourself? To be honest, uh, that's something that will stay between myself and the medical staff. <laughs> that means it's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's all good now. Obviously, um, the way we thought it would heal, uh, it wasn't really going to plan. So we had to, to take an alternate route and that meant surgery. And from then on, it was, it was really a win-win. So if we went in and we found something that wasn't there or should have been there or was different, um, that recovery time period would have been the same if we went without surgery. So um, for me, I was just about what's going on in there. Let's get in and have a look. And um, yeah, thankfully we did. You mentioned the off-court stuff and the family situation. You've been engaged for four years? Yeah, it's been a couple. <laughs> COVID, you know, COVID. And yeah, COVID yeah. has gotten the way. Yeah. I mean, Italy wasn't it? You're planning on going there to get married? Yeah, well, we were planning on on travelling the world and doing that side of things um, as soon as COVID hit. So we were looking at flights to Italy, um, and then we heard they had about ten cases or something, and we were like, oh, we'll just wait a day. The next day, there was about ten thousand cases. So thankfully, we didn't hit book on those flights um, because, yeah would have been a long long time waiting for to, for us to get a chance to go to Italy again so um, yeah and then after that we're going to get in, or get married so um, obviously the borders and everything with uh, Queensland and all our family being you know still there uh, would have been, would have made it very difficult for uh, for us to get a wedding so what are the plans when do you actually plan to get married now this point, now the borders are opening it might help but have you got a plan at all um, we figured we'd probably just delay it again and then have it midweek and then on the weekend, we'll have like a combined 30th. So it's like a week of party. So when is that, when's that, <laughs> when's that going to come about? 30, uh, be, it's this year, isn't it? You'll, you'll nah, be no, still young, still young. No, I got, um, I'm 29 next year. 29 next year? Yeah. So in two years' time, you could talk yep. about it. Yeah. That's going to be a, Do you have to repropose if you're, if, you're, <laughs> if you're engaged for six years? You have to repropose? No, nah, definitely not. No. Nah. Just enjoying, you know, the honeymoon phase. It's not even a honeymoon phase yet, but. Just enjoying that engagement period. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the government has op- announced that the border will open shortly, February 5. So you're going to be away for 40 days. Um, that's going to be tough. Again, on Sasha, that yeah, she, you were away last year. What, what's it like for her? No family here. Just the, the wags, really, to, to, to hang out with and, and, and work out what it feels like. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, you know, we, that's why we went out and we got a dog. Uh, so Ralph... Big Grudel he is. Um, he's the biggest Grudel you'll ever see. So we're, uh, we're lucky to have him. He's, he's kind of like a, someone to look after Sasha when I'm away. So it's, um, that side of thing is challenging. Obviously, you know, we have our certain challenges. The guys with kids have theirs. Um, you know, the guys that are single have theirs. You know, there's lots of challenges that come with living with people in your back pocket on a day-to-day basis uh, I think that really builds character within the group and you get to learn a lot about people 
you know, they always say you don't really know someone until you live with them. So this is really going to test our team and um, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be different at least this time compared to last year where it was a little bit silly, some of the scenarios you were facing when you're in Sydney at one point and then off to Melbourne and working through the quarantine situation. That must have been really difficult living in each other's pockets. Yeah, it was. And there was no escape, really. We had to stay in the hotel um, for pretty much the whole time or the first couple of weeks we weren't allowed to leave really at all although we had an exemption to train but we trained like 15 minutes down the road so it was like a small chance you get in the car you get a little bit of fresh air you get to go do this go train and lift some weights and things like that but then it's back to the hotel where you have the same food well not the same food but you're eating in the same room you know it's, it's just a bit of, bit of repetition that uh, gets old pretty quick. So it's really interesting that you were out of contract at the end of last season. I imagine other clubs would have come for you pretty hard and you've got family interstate and you've got friends who are moving all around the place as well and a vastly different team that was coming in here. That would have had to have gone through your mind, I would have thought, the COVID situation when you're working out, am I going to stay for another three years or am I going to maybe try to get closer to people that I'm really close with? Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, it's a tough decision. Anyone who says they enjoy free agency are lying. Um, you know, it really, it really is a tricky situation. You're thinking about everything involved from, you know, moving costs, what rent would be here, what, you know, what Sasha would do if we moved into state. Like, all these things are, are real possibilities and you can't think of the answer, you know, like that. And I think I was lucky to be in my position where, you know, I didn't want to leave Perth. Never wanted to leave Perth. I love it here. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, summed up, you know, how I made my decision. I love the city. I love the, the weather. You know, everything we do outside of basketball played a massive part. You know, we really enjoy sport. Sasha and I could, would easily sit on the couch and watch the test cricket, which I think is hard to find, you know, a girl out there that would enjoy doing that. So I'm very lucky in that regards. But in terms of sport and everything like that, like Perth's fantastic for it. So I think that's one side that, uh, that you know, we couldn't fault. So the Jack Jumpers went and got just about every wildcat they could find. <laughs> so the coach, Scott Roth, was an assistant here. Their assistant, Jacob Chance, is an assistant here. Will Magnay, Jared Bairstow, and Clint Steindl, who's the captain, who you were in his wedding party. So yeah. that's how, how tight you two are. How hard do they go at you to try to say, you know, we know you want to stay in Perth, but, but really, we want you. So what do they do to try to convince you that coming to them would have been better off than staying here? Yeah, I'm not going to go into too much detail about it because I think, you know, they, you know, whatever they do recruitment-wise is, is on their hands and I think, you know, you need to respect that. But, you know, they were, they were fantastic. You know, they were looking at, you know, different options and stuff like that with Sasha for work and, you know, so they really did have a really good plan and I think, um, you know, they had time to prepare for that as well. So I think, you know, recruitment-wise, anytime you have Scott Roth and Jacob Chance, you know, there's some pretty good coaches, um, you know, it's hard to to go away from them and I think the relationship that we had built from years, bef years before um, championships before and things like that it's it's always hard to say no to someone because you feel like you're letting you know one of your best mates down so um, you know I was glad that they were able to respect my decision and and we were able to move on and still be good friends today. What are you made of the jack jumpers as they've come through and you would have had, obviously spoken to Clinton everyone else about it as they've gone what are you expecting this weekend? Yeah, I think, you know, they're, they're a team, and they've said it themselves, that everything's a first. You know, it's their first home win. It's going to be, you know, they had their first road win or, you know, they're going to have firsts all year round. So I think for them, it's making sure, you know, they're coming in with the right mindset. And again, why not? Like, you know, it can be a first, you know, 
fingers crossed it's not going to happen win in WA or win in Perth like everything's a first for them so I think everything's fresh you know they're feeling good and and everything's kind of rolling right now for them so it's going to be a challenge Wildcats fans will get a first this weekend they'll see Michael Frazier the second for the first time yeah. uh, tell us a bit about him because he looks really exciting we just haven't had the opportunity to see him healthy yet yeah I think he, he could be a great part for us you know a big piece I think uh, defensively he can be up and in and, and really get under guys skin and I think that's something that I really appreciate <laughs> as a defender um, so I think um, yeah offensively as well I think he's going to have games where he can just blow teams out of the water uh, which is something that I'm excited by, and I think um, everyone, everyone in Perth, should should really be keen and, and keeping an eye out for Mike. Now we have the Dribble Podcast MVP Award here, where we announce the three, two, and one each week. I'm sure Michael Fraser the second and Mitch Norton will both appear in this at different points throughout the season. But on the weekend, we went one vote to Bryce Cotton, who had obviously a slow start and missed his first eleven shots, but finished with nineteen points, five assists, and three steals. Two votes went to Majuk Majuk, influential all game, gave the team an amazing presence with fourteen rebounds, including five on the offensive glass, and also scored nine points. And then three votes was Vic Law, twenty-nine points for the game and 15 in overtime he couldn't really have done a hell of a lot more to help lift the Wildcats to victory but we also have a thing here called this or that you can't sit on the fence you have to make an actual decision and the question for this or that this week is all about the push and shove that we saw on the weekend both derbies in Victoria and New South Wales got a little bit heated the Phoenix forced a turnover at halfway oh, oh yes sir yes, quick sir. took a yes, body oh oh here we go and there's some pingling battles in Stuff by Peatling. Not necessary. Hellacious dump by Mitch Creek. Spectacular. What was Peatling thinking? I don't know what he was thinking, but sometimes you just got to wear it. Not you the smartest. Posterized every now and again. Not the smartest thing in the world. Right there. Glover has to get from one end to the other. Froling says good night, and Angus Glover. It's boiling over late at Kudos Bank Arena. Angus Glover, he's not happy. You know, look at this. Angus Glover might be having a 24-second early shower. Big block. Do you think a push and shove is good for the game and the publicity and the way and everyone wanting to watch it, or if you want to do that sort of stuff, go and play another sport? I like it. I like it. Um, in terms of the Sydney and Illawarra one, I think you know. To put all the, you know, GMs and CEOs and all that stuff behind, and to leave it on the floor, and that's where the rivalry starts. I like it. Um, and same thing with Southeast. Um, although, you know, there has to be a fine line. You know, I think any time it spills into the crowd or something like that, it can get, it can get messy. And um, you know, I, I remember watching as a kid. There was a, there used to be the Reptile Rumble the Townsville Crocs and the Cairns Taipans and there was there would always be a bit of push and shove in that and I think that just gives everyone in the you know community and everything a little bit more fire and and brings a little bit more juice to the game so um, there is a fine line though
It was a cracking bump that Mitch Craig copped, wasn't it? It was, it was, yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. That, I know there's a lot of investigations going on with that and a lot of charges that are uh, about to be laid, or have been laid, and we'll see what comes from that from there. Well, look, we really appreciate you coming in. It's been a difficult couple of weeks for you. It's been a difficult few months, really, when you consider your injuries, and you provide a really good insight into what it is like living as a professional athlete with injuries at home, away from family. So thank you very much for coming in. We really appreciate it, and good luck with your recovery. No worries. Thanks for having me. And now it's time to enter the lair with this lady. Mabry, oh, they went underneath the screen. She makes it look so easy. If we're going down an alley, I want Marina Mabry next to me. Mabry on the right, plants the foot, lets it fly, got it! Yes, she is a WNBA star for the Dallas Wings, an NCAA championship winner with Notre Dame, a top 20 draft pick, and now a Perth Lynx import. Marina Mabry, welcome to the Dribble Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Excited to talk about the game. It's been an eventful time for you in Perth. You haven't been here long, and you've already had a fire where you live. Talk us through what's been going on. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... First, start off with quarantine. That will uh, challenge you mentally. And then get out and uh, someone lights the grocery store on fire (laughs) in the middle of the night. So uh, it's been eventful, but hey, just stay in the present. So it was a little bit scary when the alarms went off because I saw like at first there was nobody outside. And then when I got out there, everyone was like walking really fast. So it's, it's not a drill. <laughs> um, and then to see like the flames. And I also, um, being my nosy self, I uh, went up and asked the guy who was working at the counter what happened. And I got like the full story. And I don't think that helped my mental to know someone actually lit it on fire. It wasn't just a mistake. <laughs> so you mentioned then that you got through the quarantine side of things already. It was good news, really, yesterday from a Lynx perspective with the, the WA government announcing that the border will open on February 5. You're going into state for a month to play in Victoria and you, you, your last game is February 6, which means you get to come back and not have to quarantine. How much of a relief was it to not have to go through it again? Yeah, uh, that was a bit a bit of anxiety, thinking I may have to come back and do the quarantine all over again. So I'm happy Perth uh, found a way to open up their borders so uh, the athletes can travel freely and, and do the job they love to do. One of the really cool parts about you coming to Perth is that you're coming with a former teammate, Jackie Young, who uh, you played with at college. You don't play with her in WNBA anymore, but you won a championship together at college. So that must be really powerful for you to get back together and try to have more success in the professional era <laughs> yeah i'm getting the goosebumps thinking about it um jackie jackie's a special person uh whether she plays basketball or not it, she's like a sister to me so i'm happy to have somebody here so far away from home yet feeling so close because jackie's here and then just on the court she's just such a competitor she's so good at what she does uh I always say she she is like one of the main reasons we won the championship. She had 32 against Connecticut when we played them, and we wouldn't have made it to where we were without her. So I know she's going to be a big part of our team this year and a big part of the reason we have success. Three seconds for a national championship or overtime. Ogumbawale for the win. wins the national championship for Notre Dame. It was an outrageous championship when you look back on it. Like it, I, I urge people to go and search for this on YouTube and just watch the way that they won. <laughs> Put some context into it. You turned the ball over with 10 seconds to go, sure won the ball back, 
<laughs> looked like you'd been involved in a play which was, had won you the game, and then they fouled, and then you had to go hey. again. And then Enrique Ogombawale produced one of the most extraordinary shots I've ever seen to win. How many times did you watch the entire thing back? You know, I think I have a different perspective because, you know, we, we had we had a different plan on the court. So um, I'm dribbling down. I'm supposed to throw it in. All of a sudden, uh, Mississippi State gets a different uh, position on me after I let the ball go. I'm like, oh, no. And I just quickly was like, I need to make a play. I see Jackie running back trying to help me. They look like they're going to have a wide open layup. I just swiped across at the right time. And I, I didn't foul her, actually. I know on Twitter I got harassed for that one. But um, Jackie picked it up. She had my back. And then we almost had a wide open layup. And uh, Someone on Mississippi State was a smart play, fouled Jackie. And then um, Coach McGraw draws up a play. And, you know, being the team that we were, we kind of just thought ahead. And uh, Jackie and Enrique were talking like, "Hey, if they sit on top of the on top of the entry pass, like I'm gonna come to it, run to it, and take a couple dribbles to the corner and shoot." Like, and whatever their plan was, Jackie threw it right to Enrique, and I'm in the corner, and I'm looking up. I'm like, "She made that? No, she did not make that." <laughs> and then we just ball went in. We won the championship. Um, it was it was a big day for women's basketball because. We produced a product that they hadn't seen before. And we had people out of their seats. We had the whole place jumping. And um, we had energy in the building. So to be able to be part of that group that changed women's basketball uh, as a whole, NCAA and professionally and everything else, kind of get that spark going, uh, it, it feels great to, to be able to contribute to the game in just some way that's not individual. It was an outrageous couple of games. You got to the Final Four and you won that in the exact same circumstances, really, on the buzzer. You same player shooting like it, yeah. there's a fine line between success and missing out in sport, isn't there? Like it's just a reminder of you got to play to the buzzer every single time, no matter where you are or what you're doing. Yeah, I mean we were on the other side of it my senior year. Uh, we got to the buzzer and we got free throws and we didn't make them, so we didn't win. And I got to I got to feel what what the other teams felt the year before. So. Either way, it's a great experience for your soul, for your for the person that you're going to be. So, win or lose, there's there's something good that comes out of it and lessons to be learned. It's an interesting time for you at the moment. You're obviously in Australia, heading in towards Christmas. You're not going to be with your family. You've been overseas multiple times uh, in the off seasons to to play. And and when you look at it. When women's sport, you're forced to do that from a financial perspective, I would have thought. We're talking a lot in this country about finances and what players are paid. And AFLW last week said they want to be the highest paid domestic sport in the country in 10 years. And when, when you look at it, you're a star in the WNBA. I'll give you some stats here for people listening. That She's a third-year player, top 20 draft pick, played every game, averaged 24 minutes on court, started eight times, second in the team for scoring, second for assists, third for steals and received votes for the most improved player, and she earned less than an AFL player who was drafted last in the AFL draft who doesn't play a game. There's something out of whack when people in our country are earning more money to not play than you are in America at the highest level to be playing at that sort of a level. Yeah, I mean, obviously just looking at it from a gender perspective, it seems unfair. It seems like we're doing the same amount of work and so on. But at the end of the day... There is a business side to it, and if we got to get fans in seats, we got to create more revenue somehow. We need to market, and I think that's coming for us. And you, you don't want to rush it because you'll ruin it. So, 
to me, it's yeah, it's it's unfair sometimes, and it can be frustrating. You're not making what you, what you feel like you deserve, but at the end of the day, we need to find a way to continue to grow the game so that so that we can reach those levels that we want to be at. And yeah, they're making it harder on us because we're women and we don't get this and we don't get that. But if we focus on on what we don't have, we're never going to get what we want. So I think we need to appreciate where we are in the game and where we're growing to and kind of see the future and embody it right now so that one day we look back and we see all the girls making all kinds of money and not having to go overseas if they don't want to, but also having that financial freedom. So you're a big marketer of your own brand as well. Like you, you push yourself out there and you talk about these sorts of things really, really strongly. You've got, talk to us about your the brand that you are. You are MarinaMaybury3.com. Um, three, the, the digit, not the not the spelling of it, so people can go there and, and have a look at that. You, you've got your 41,000 Instagram followers. You sell a hell of a lot of merchandise online as well. Talk to us about how you've built that brand and how important it is to you to be able to have that. You know, it started my rookie year when I saw, I saw the vet's they're always contributing something to the game outside of their skills. And whether it be campaigns, camps, whatever it may be, they were trying to contribute to the women's game and grow it. And so I felt like I needed to do that too. I owe it to the game to do something more than just than just produce a product that I produce on the court. So um, kind of looking back, Reading all the Twitter comments, reading all the Instagram comments. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but hey, who doesn't read it sometimes? Um, to me, it was all publicity is good publicity. So if you're going to comment on our stuff, then you're just giving us more insights. And you're just growing our game and you don't even know it. You're being a hater and you're helping us. Because at the end of the day, how many how many comments do you see about, oh, LeBron's not good or... Um, I don't know, Harden can't get any calls anymore, PG is the worst superstar there is, whatever else they say, right? Um, you're still drawing attention to the NBA. So I went back, and it's, this is my kitchen. I don't have to cook anything. I don't have to be the best baker. I don't have to be any of that because I've seen guys make better cookies than I do, and I've also seen women be better athletes than guys in a sense of their in their own world. So... Um, to me, it's you can be anything you want to be, and that's kind of the message that MarinaMabry3.com and This Is My Kitchen speaks. You can manifest what you want, so women's basketball can manifest ourselves into anything we want to be, a.k.a. we can be as big as the NBA in, in their year 75 as we are in year 75. We're only in 25, though. Do you feel like a trailblazer by going by being able to go down this path? Because it, 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 social media side of things and websites and stuff—they're not—they're not what a lot of people were able to do when they were coming through. Who you would have been idolizing? So, do you feel like you're setting the, the the stage for the next generation to follow and and have this sort of success? Yeah, I mean, I got to see these vets making all kinds of moves business-wise for the WNBA. And you don't only see it when you're younger, but then when you're actually in the room with them and you see how much time and effort they're putting in to make sure that we, like the 25, 24, 23-year-olds, are are enduring, we're getting all these benefits with new CBA, the new the hotel rooms, just little things like that that we're appreciating. It's coming from them and all the work that they put in. So now me being one of the younger generations and I'm going to grow and be one of the vets one day, I want to be able to say that I did something so that the younger generation has it better than I did. 
you are very strong on social media in terms of your your use when you're watching sport. I was, <laughs> I was monitoring you during October, and um, over the course of a couple of days, you had 28 tweets about a Notre Dame football game, and then you had 36 tweets about a WNBA game after that. Um, it's fair to say, when it comes to watching sport, you're passionate. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love to watch football. These guys work so hard. Um, they're sacrificing their bodies. They're, they're taking a risk every single time they step on the field. Uh, so give them the the publicity they deserve and uh just kind of seeing them go through college and seeing all the lifts and all the things all the meetings they're in there all day so uh watching them produce the product they do i'm like wow that's a great play it's just crazy like and and also i just have my own opinions i watch football all the time i love to watch it um i'm a bigger fan of the nfl than i am college i'm sorry but um, they're just incredible athletes, and uh, they deserve the publicity they get. I enjoyed one of your tweets, which just simply said, we've got to take care of the damn ball. And I thought <laughs> that sums up how a lot of people follow sport. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they were, really, they were really making me mad. <laughs> but you know what? Hey, they, they're really out there trying their best, and it's easy, it's easy for the uh, outsider to watch and say, take care of the ball. But you're not seeing the blitz of a 300-pound man coming at you either. So... I try to take that with a grain of salt. And when I say take care of the ball, I'm just encouraging them. <laughs> so I, thought, I thought we'd have a bit of fun with Australian sport while you're here to see what you've learned in the month that you've been here and whether or not you've managed to take any of it in given that you've been focusing on your basketball whilst also playing. So I'm going to ask you eight questions because you wear three and you started out wearing fives. So there's eight questions all about different Australian sports. Half of them will be 50-50 to give yourself a chance. And because of the number three, we'll say three out of the eight as a pass. So we'll see, we'll see how you go about issues that have been bobbing around in sport lately. So the first one, WA superstar Sam Kerr was big news in, in Australia last week. She got annoyed when a fan ran onto the field during a game and, and she cracked him with a big bump to knock him over and get him off the field and allow security to grab him. What sport does Aussie Sam Kerr play? Uh, <laughs> wait, you guys call it football or soccer? You can call it whichever one you want. I want to say soccer. And bang, she's got one. She's got one. She's done well. Okay. And I love that for her. <laughs> Keep going. Australia are 1-0 up in the Ashes cricket at the moment. In that first test, Rory Burns scored a golden duck for England, and then Australia's Travis Head made a ton. Who scored the most runs, the person who scored the golden duck or the person who scored the ton? The ton. Oh, well done. A golden duck is zero. So she's on two. She's dominating this. <laughs> the day-night test series starts in Adelaide this week in the cricket. Once it gets to the night session, will it be easier to bat or will it be easier to bowl? Imagine it's pitching in, in, oh, in baseball. Okay. So it we, will be easier to pitch or bat? At night time. I think I'm going to say bat. No, it's, e pitch. it's easier to bowl. The ball <laughs> yeah. moves around really crazily in the uh, air at okay. night time. So you're on two. Okay. Last week, West Coast Fever netball star Courtney Bruce uh, won the Liz Ellis Diamond Award after being named the nation's best player for 2021. There are seven players on a netball court. How many of them are allowed to score? All of them? No, only, <laughs> only two, believe it or not. There's only two players on the court who are allowed to score and they wear bibs to let everyone know what position they play and where, whether they're not allowed where they so are allowed to score. So why would you guard anybody else? Because they're, 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 they're in segments on the on the court where they're allowed to move to. It's a it's a it's a different it. sport. You don't play it over, over in America, but it's very it's one of the most popular uh, sports in the country, especially for women. Oh, that's cool. Now here's one strange for you. In the movie Pretty Woman, Julia Roberts played the role of a hooker named Vivian. In Australia, Cameron Smith was named Hooker of the Year nine times during his outstanding career. What sport did he play? <laughs> 
I have no idea. Uh, I don't even know what sports they all are. Basketball? <laughs> no, he, he's a he's a rugby league player. He was Australia's captain. Um, was the best best player in the country for a long time. You're making Ca- these questions really hard. Okay. <laughs> Let's see how we go with this one. Your general manager who is sitting here listening to us, Brent Dawkins, previously worked for the AFL team, the Fremantle Dockers. Name their arch rival. Uh, She's looking over trying to get hit. The Eagles. The Eagles, well done. That was very good work from from the room next door. Very good work. No one said I couldn't use any help. No, no. Okay, so I think you've already passed, which is a good thing. Uh, so we've got two more to go. We have a phrase in Australia where we say a player was B-O-G, bog. Is B-O-G, bog, a good thing, or did you suck if you played B-O-G? Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good, you got a, you got a thumbs up in your ears. Yes, best on ground, that stands for. <laughs> and, okay. And finally, this weekend, the Tasmania Jack Jumpers are coming to play the Wildcats at RAC Arena. A Jack Jumper is an Australian venomous ant that can jump four inches high to attack its prey. Am I being fair income about that, or am I absolutely making that up? I, I truly hope you're making it up. It's true. That's what a jack jumper is. It's a venomous ant in, from Tasmania, so you don't have to worry about it over here, that jumps about 10 centimetres high in, in Australian definitions to attack its prey. I'm That's tired they, of hearing about the venomous creatures around here. Yeah, I believe you're going to Caversham next week to, or, or in oh, a couple I of days to, I'm not. To, to, meet, to meet some of our creatures. I believe I'll be locked in that hotel room. Well, you've done well with that. You've done extremely well. You've passed. You've well and truly passed. So that was a uh, very strong performance by you. So let's get back to more basketball-y sorts of issues and, and yourself. You're from a big basketball family. Tell me a bit about that and, and how successful your family have been over the years. I mean, my brother, Ryan, he plays at number like five team in the country at La Lu. He's he's amazing player. And then my two sisters are at Notre Dame right now. My one sister's an assistant coach there. My other sister plays there. And then my brother was a Division II All-American for two years. So uh, to s- we, we had all kinds of family workouts, games, anything you could think of, we, we played basketball for. And um we have a couple of parks where we're known to in, in New Jersey. You can always find us there. Uh, my parents are still tied in the basketball world. My mom works at a college achieve like small school for kids and she um she teaches them how to play basketball. She mentors them. She's there to help them navigate their way through sports in school no matter where they come from. So that's kind of like what she's dedicated to and then my dad is a like great athlete. So he kind of like teaches people how to run, jump, stuff like that, that he was good at, so good at when they did triathlon. So my family's just, like, really athletic and tied to the basketball world. And I'm just really grateful for that because you always have, like, problems or anything, good things, bad things, to bounce off your siblings because they all get it. And you get a different perspective from everybody. My brother's a trainer. My mom knows exactly what to say and when to say it. And then you got my sister who's a coach. She'll give you the coaching points. And then you have my little brother and I. Um, I always say we have a great bond we're like the same person in different bodies. So anytime he's, he's, I can always tell what he's feeling in the game and he can tell what I'm feeling. So uh, I'm like just really grateful to have a brother like that, that I can always depend on and know that he knows exactly what I'm talking about. And I know how he feels and stuff. So it's cool to have a family like that. You obviously miss not being with them over Christmas. Yeah, but like, our family's so used to like traveling and being away from each other. Like my brother lives at school all day, every day. So I wouldn't be able to see him anyway. And then my sister's always working. She's doing scouts. She's like one of the hardest working coaches in America. So she was top 30, under 30. So she's on her way up to be something super special. She's always working. And then, you know, you're in college. Dara's Dara's still in college doing what she does. So 
everybody's all spread out. So I think we all kind of find a way to bond and connect together over the holidays without having to actually physically be there. The links haven't started playing yet. As I said, you don't start until next year, but you've had some training sessions to, to work out teammates. Who's really impressed you at the moment, given that you wouldn't have known any of them before you arrived? Um, honestly, like they all have something they're super good at and like they all contribute in their own way, whether it be down to being a great teammate or being a great shooter, a great passer. I, I can't point out any single player that that's done anything that I would say, but but everybody has their special niche, and that's what I think makes the link so good. We have weapons for everything. And what are fans going to notice about you when you finally get out in the court and they can see you play? What what are they going to go? That's that that's what she does on court. <laughs> well, I'm probably a scorer, but I think just more like. I'll do anything it takes to win. So if it means I need to play great defense, or I need to get a block, or I need to get rebounds or assists, or it's not my night and I need to find somebody else, like that's that's what I'm what I'm here to do. Like help us win. Now we have a segment on on the Dribble Podcast called This or That. You can't sit on the fence. We ask a question. You got to jump to one side and, and have an opinion. So we heard in the intro that. That commentator would have liked to have walked down a dark alley with you if, if there was a scrap going on. And there was plenty of push and shove going on on the weekend in the NBL, in both the, N, uh, the New South Wales and the Victorian Derbies. Do you think a bit of push and shove is good for the game? Or if you want to push and shove, you should go and play a different sport? Which of those two, this or that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think push and shove is good. It's it's You see so much in America, like teed up for, for something so small, like emotional, especially on the women's side, like... There's a certain way that people think you're supposed to act, and you're you're held to an expectation and a standard that who created, who who made that? Because women show emotion probably more than men, so it doesn't really make a lot of sense that we would be held to a different standard. So, to me, I think push and shove is good for the game. The fans want to see competitiveness; they want to see the will to win. So, uh, to me, as long as you're not dirty and trying to hurt somebody, I'm with the push and shove. I'm looking forward to watching you play. This is going to be fun. Well, look, thanks very much for coming in. I really appreciate you joining us on the Dribble Podcast. Remember, everyone, keep logging on to thewest.com.au for all your basketball news and pick up your copy of The West Australian. Thanks to Marina for coming in. Thanks to Mitch Norton for also coming in. And thanks to the wonderful Kate Ryan for all of her outstanding production work. We couldn't do these sorts of things without our wonderful producers. We'll be back next week on the Dribble Podcast. Stay tuned to thewest.com.au. Thanks for your time.